छात्र अमिस्त्रोबीन हजार Okay, I'm drawing a line in the fucking sand here. Do not read the Latin. Hello, welcome to Don't Read the Latin. This is Jennifer Lovely. I'm Ryan Hall. And I'm Jillian Venters. <laughs> so rather than having um uh a, a theme about a different type of movie or this or that. I really wanted to have a conversation um, having uh, just gotten back from Crypticon. Um, and I think uh, the three of us went and uh, it was Jillian's very first time. My very first Crypticon. And oh my God, it was amazing. It really is. I, so I will say that the con, having had been into a bunch of them now, um, I think this was the least scattered um, it felt like there was, it was the least, like, things kind of going wrong. Ah! Um, <laughs> because things are always going to go wrong in a convention. Something's always going to be wacky. Um, I felt like they condensed down the, um, panel schedule a little bit. And I, I felt like the panel schedule was good. It wasn't going until, like, 3 a.m. or some ridiculous mm-hmm. thing like it used to. Um, it seemed to be better managed than mm-hmm. in the past, because... But I don't know, because this is the first time I've ever been to a con where I've not been on panels. Oh, yeah. And not, or not been working in some way. way. yeah. So all of my experiences with Crypticon up until this one have been pretty negative. Oh. Because I know you were, like, running a lot of things to them via Scarecrow. Right. Yeah, yeah I was doing a lot of stuff for Scarecrow there, and yeah. My only concern about the panel schedule was that a bunch of the panels I wanted to go to were directly conflicting. Yes. Directly I, across yeah. each other. Yeah, there oh was... Oh, my God. Yeah. I I was really... I mean, and the thing is, is it's interviews and panels would be going on while I was, like, actively in a panel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You were on a panel. And, yeah. And there were so many, like, I was actually, when I was re-reviewing things, um, like, I, I literally saw panels where I was like, oh, shit. I had honestly had every intention of making that panel, and uh-huh. I just didn't. So, before we get into more discussion about Crypticon, I want to start with the other stuff, because because we've had a one-week delay, I have just a ton of stuff uh, that I have seen um, over the last couple of weeks. So, just setting it out there, I'm going to ask you guys next of what okay. sort of things that you've seen. Um, I saw, not horror, I saw Can You Ever Forgive Me, which was actually a really kind of... Um, hard what? It's a good movie. It is a fantastic movie. Um, and uh, it has got um, uh, Richard E. Grant, and it's got, why can I remember her name right now? Uh, Melissa McCarthy. M- Melissa McCarthy. Mm. And uh, it was actually a kind of, str- I mean, the thing Now is- I know what movie you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is, uh, what is the author's name? I've forgotten it already. I, you got one, you get me to remember one, one name thing for episodes. <laughs> It's Lee Israel. It's about Lee Israel, Israel who and was an author and um, biographer. Started... Go ahead. And, oh. <laughs> and your movie. <laughs> uh, she started uh, creating um, falsified uh, letters from famous people and selling them. 
uh, because it was, it was, you know, I mean, there was some kind of verification done at that time, but there were always buyers who didn't right. do as this much Right, this was pre-internet. Mm-hmm. So if you came out and said, I have this amazing letter from W.C. Fields yes. complaining about Mae West. They were like, oh, that's fantastic, as long as it looked semi-legit. Right. right. It had to be on the right kind of paper. I mean, they could check the typewriter. Mm-hmm. But... It, it is a perfect, just... Uh, it was New York in the 90s. Right. And so there were collectors of rare letters and stuff, and mm-hmm. it wasn't... It was pre-internet, so... Mm-hmm. They weren't going to be that likely to catch mm-hmm. you. Yeah. And she made a, a very good livelihood on it until she was actively caught. The movie itself is just wonderfully done. I had to tap out of it like halfway through because movies like that where it just felt her her perils seemed very personal rather than like a heist movie planning like a big robbery. You can kind of get involved in the, the bigger parts of it. Like how she this- was stuck. Yeah. How she was suffering and struggling just seemed too personal and too scary to me. Like, every time she'd go in and she was, like, selling, I'd, I'd start getting anxious. And then there's some personal stuff that happened with her, and I'm like, I can't handle this anymore. It's so funny. I watch horror movies, but, like, personal drama stuff like this, I can't. It just makes me upset. No, um, that's that's reasonable. There's a... There are certain there are different tropes there, because in horror, while terrible things happen, and it may resolve horribly... Personal thrillers where it's supposed to be like a real life thing, the stakes feel higher, higher because you can relate. Yeah. 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 Um, in uh, the vein of, I saw a whole bunch of pretty good horror. <laughs> um, I saw Escape Room from last year, and it was a good amount of fun, though I felt it kind of dropped the ball with the ending. Um, I saw The Curse of Yalorona. Um, which I thought was an awful lot of fun and uh, another period piece. And it meant to be a part of the, um, the uh, Conjuring universe. Is oh, it? Okay. I didn't know that. It, it Ever, ever, ever so loosely. <laughs> what? I understand. What era is it set it's, in? Is, uh, is it 70s? It's like late 70s, again? yes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's an, like an all Hispanic cast, director, and I believe writer. Um, and it, is just, I just thought it was an awful lot of fun, and it's nice to get, um, it's nice to get folklore and legends that are from, you know, cultures that aren't as covered in, in the U.S. Yeah. Um, it was really neat, because I did watch, I could, um, trying to wonder if I should, anyway, well, I mean, this is all about, like, the stuff with Crypticon. They, they were really, really good about doing a bunch of panels that talked about inclusion and having, um, representation by so many different things. And I went to this wonderful panel that was um, all people of color. Um, And uh, they talked about the fact that if you look through Mexican movies, there's a bazillion movies on on La Llorona. Mm -hmm. And, but it was was really nice to have that be something U.S. distributed. Yeah. Yeah. There's like at least five with that title. Yeah. About, I want to say like five years ago, one of the times that I went to, Halloween Horror Nights down in Hollywood, they had just debuted their La Llorona Maze to, oh. to cater to more of the the local Hispanic audience and stuff like that. And it was amazing. Community is a, a huge horror community. Yeah, and it was, oh, yeah. they freaking love the hell out of it. And it was one of the best about... mazes I've been to. It yeah, was, scary stuff. It was beautifully atmospheric. They did a re- it didn't rely on like 
all the strobe lights and flashing mm-hmm. nonsense that you get like in the Rob Zombie themed mazes and stuff like yeah. that. It was just fantastic. <laughs> lay off the lay off the strobe lights, Rob. Pretty much. <laughs> um, I saw um, Neroi the Curse, which is a, I believe, Japanese. And I'm going to feel awful if I picked the wrong Asian community that that was out of. And it's, it's it was a um, kind of faux documentary, found footage esque um, uh, horror out of 2005. And it was pretty good. You know, it definitely wasn't, like, the best of those movies that came out from, like, the late 90s um, going over to, like, 2004, 2005. But it was it was interesting um, and fantastic. I saw Happy Death Day to You, um, which is was just a freaking delight and a lot more heartwarming than you'd think it was going to be. Um, when you tried to, like, kind of piece the plot points together... After having watched it, maybe not quite as fantastic, but the watch itself is a lot of fun. It's probably going to be one of the next movies that I show uh, for Horror Movie Fridays. Um, In not a whole lot of fun, but absolutely fantastic, I watched Hagazusa, A Heathen's Curse, um, which is uh, kind of a folklore, witches, pagan story. And it's it's kind of a almost a one-man show. Um, it is set in the 15th century, um, and I know I heard this um, on on shockwaves, but I've I've completely used it all weekend talking about it. It is though somebody watched The Witch and said, "Hey, that has got a lot going on, and that really seems to be speeding through that plot." I think if we just kind of pulled things back and slowed down a little <sighs> bit, <laughs> but on the other side of it. It's absolutely fucking gorgeous, beautifully acted by everyone in it, from from the little girl at the beginning of it to her dying mother to her as an adult and the the, the people of the village that are both terrified and, and, and just kind of hate her for being different. So here's my terrible question. Yes. Could I just put it on in the background as a video wallpaper? Or do yes. I... Okay, then I'm good. Yeah. Because I want... To see it, yeah. but I don't. And I've got it on Blu-ray. You, you don't want to invest your time I, into paying complete attention to something it is, that long. It might be better for me to be like sewing while uh-huh. it's on. Yeah, so. because, <laughs> like as I said, with with the uh, big grand finale, you can look away and look back, and look away and look back, and the same thing's still going on. Okay, okay. <laughs> but it is it is gorgeous. It's very tense. Um, and it's got some real, surreal, like the things that I hear when you discuss Mandy about Mm -hmm. being, having a surreal note and, and being dreamy and nightmarish is really things that, that came to my mind when I was watching that. Um, kind of in the middle of the road again, I saw Hell House LLC, the Abaddon Hotel, which is a sequel to the first one. And Jim and I were discussing did I actually ever end up showing Hell House LLC? You did not, that I remember, because I kept saying... I think I, I could make it through I it because I, I spoiled make it through myself it for it. Because I spoiled myself for it, but I'm going to need to watch it in a group. Yeah. So I think and you I meant like to show it. it. So I really loved it. And the second one expands on the folklore of the first one. Um, almost, almost a little too much. Uh, and isn't, in my opinion, as well done as the first one. And it is another one of those horror movies where it's pretty decent through the movie and then just really drops the ball with the wrap-up in the end. That's one of the things 
that's a constant point of discussion in my house because Pete comes down on the side of he wants incredibly detailed world building. He wants mm-hmm. all the details, all the nitty gritty. Why is you know there should this would why be great is this happening if there was another twist to it? And I'm like, you There's know, sometimes you need to not over elaborate. Yeah. You need to not fill in all the edges and color to the edges of the map of that world building. So yeah. it's it's an on constant ongoing discussion with us. Where I'm like, no, you just want too much detail because you're a role-playing game nerd. And he's like, you're a gaming nerd, too. Yes. In a lot of ways you are. It just sends the gaming. <laughs> My gaming nerddom takes a different path. Yes. Um, and then uh, that I bought from the Vinegar Syndrome table um, at Crypticon, I bought Death by Temptation, which is a 1990 uh, horror movie um, that it really, it really feels in the 90s. And it has a really big soundtrack because I think they actually had a a relationship with a record company. It's like a horror used, comedy, isn't it? It's kind of horror comedy, yeah. but it's also, there is a strong, almost in the same way that you have with um, Eve's Bayou, where there's a strong, uh, a, a strong religious underbelly to it. Mm of uh, being the driving like decision. So what you have in the beginning of the movie is there's a young man uh, that is, and he says what state he's from a bunch of times. And of course it's not coming to me, but he lives like in a small town in the South. Um, and he and his cousin uh, both went to the same religious school. Um, and he is, has every intention. He was raised by his grandmother because his dad and his mom passed in a car accident um, when he was really young. Um, but he's being raised and being really groomed to become a minister. And mm-hmm. his cousin runs off to New York City and is just, is you know, trying to look into acting. And um, and he needs a break, the, the young man who wants to become a minister. Because his grandmother's really pushing and She goes, you're at a crossroads in your life where, you know, you need to decide what you're going to do. But I really think that, you know, you need to make this choice. And he goes off to visit his cousin who meets this, there's this bar that they all go to, and there is a succubus at this bar who is uh, establishing contact with men at the bar. She takes them home, and then she murders them. And there is a, a delight in how just absolutely, like, the lure, the vicious <clears throat> tear to pieces. Um, I will admit, I looked at the cover art at the booth, and I was like, this looks like total exploitation. Like, yeah. I am not going to like it, this at all. It is done by trauma, which is shocking. And the thing but is, is no. and Vinegar Syndrome just... Allow me to point out something. Trauma was the first company to release My Neighbor Totoro in this country. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're not wrong. Okay. <laughs> so they may not have produced and directed it. They may have just distributed it, which could make it... Yeah. Right. I, I think that there was... He... Uh, Kaufman had involvement with it because there were some reshoots that he had to do. And there's also an interview on the Vinegar Syndrome disc because they are, Vinegar has been, Vinegar Syndrome has just been doing these beautiful releases and actually doing a bunch of interviews, which a lot of places just aren't doing as much. Yeah. Uh, behind the, yeah, behind the scenes and extras. Right, because that's so expensive. It is. And they don't want to pay for it. They're like, we did all our work. What else do you want? Um, and there is Kleenex over there too. Oh, thank you. I know. I got you back. Um, I thought she was trying to steal my drink. <laughs> no, I still have my drink in the Dracula mug. I'm good. I'm good. Um, uh, that, no, because 
because the director had such a very stylized view about it, he they had to do some reshoots. reshoots and uh, Kaufman actually talks about it in the interviews about how he was very, very careful not to change the tone. And there are some there are some moments where it is very stylized. Okay. Um, and it's it's almost a little too much, but you know, it's like halfway to the film. I was like, all right, I'm invested. I'm I'm in. <laughs> I I I have read that exact plot mm-hmm. in like three novels, and it is yeah. a common a classic, common plot and fanfic trope in every fandom. Every fandom I have ever read fic in, that is in there. A succubus? No, usually it's an incubus. But yeah, but it has one of the most interesting um, pulled is. into a television death that, oh, nice. that I've seen. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, it's just, it's really neat. It's very much a, sl- a slice of 1990. Um, and it has, it just has face after face that you'll recognize from other things. So it was just absolutely fantastic. The only other thing, the very last thing I'm going to bring up from stuff that I've been watching is if you, all you people out there, yes, I'm watching Game of Thrones. So if you, um, subscribed to HBO simply for watching Game of Thrones, um, they have a series that they are doing on Chernobyl that they have released the first... I can't watch that. Well, then you shouldn't. <laughs> but on the other hand, it is... They've released the first episode and it is, I will warn you, it is graphic. Um, but it is also kind of beautiful. And it is very illustrative of how, <laughs> how the government's <laughs> need uh, for secrecy made everything that was happening 10 times worse. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, but it is absolutely fantastic. So now that I've talked for like 27 years, is there anything that you guys have been seeing lately? Can I have my notebook? You can. So after Crypticon, I came home and watched like a bunch of horror films. Nice. Because that's all I wanted to do. Um, one of the ones I watched that I really liked was a zombie film, which is shocking because I hate zombie films. Um, it was called Cargo. It stars Morgan Freeman. Oh, I really want to see that. And um, basically, he there's a zombie plague going around. Not Morgan it has, Freeman, isn't it? No, it's Martin Freeman. Yes. What? <laughs> Sorry. I'm like that. Be no, a different. That'd be a different movie. Yeah. It's Martin Freeman. He and his wife are living on kind of a boat in a river, and they're trying to get downriver to the military base so they'll be safe from the zombies. But the zombie apocalypse is pretty far, is spread pretty far, and they're in Australia, and his wife died, and they have a baby that's, I don't know how old it is. It's old enough to crawl around, and but it's not really old enough to talk. It's about the size of a Chucky doll. <laughs> one of those kind of babies. Probably around 18 months, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, probably. It's a little girl. His wife dies, and he gets bitten by a zombie, and he has... And they have these zombie survival kits that the government has given out, and they have a little timer that times you for 48 hours, because that's how long long it takes for the virus to kick in. And it's not exactly 48 hours. Like, if you're... If you're in, if you have an injury, it will reduce your time. Or if you already have the flu, it will reduce your time. But you have about forty-eight hours before you turn into a horrible flesh-eating zombie. 
And he's trying. Just rolls off the tongue. And Horrible he's flesh eating zombie. Trying to get this baby someplace safe. Yeah. And he meets people. He meets a survivalist guy who's built a little compound. And that guy turns out not to be the best, the best guy. I think we could say that. Yeah. And there's this um, Aboriginal native girl, and she's her father has gotten it, and is full on zombie, and she's got him in a little cave where she keeps him and tries to feed him. And her quest is to find the local shaman because she believes that she can find this wise man. He can cure the. He can cure this. And their paths end up colliding, and um, they end up traveling together as he's getting sicker and sicker, and she's only like 10. Oh, ouch. She's like a 10 or 11-year-old girl, and and it's really good. Yeah. It is not at all what I expected, Um, and it's... Even though it's a zombie movie, I absolutely loved it. Oh, it's um, I saw Avengers Endgame yesterday. It kind of pissed me off. Oh. But that's okay. Well, the whole Thor thing. Yeah. Because in order to show that someone is a failure, they show them being fat. And I don't think that's cool. On the other hand, at the same time, Fat Thor kicked a lot of ass. So there. And on top of Maybe it... Maybe it's showing that when you are depressed and fat, you can still throw a, throw a hammer. I don't know. So I had very mixed feelings about that. But I thought they did a really good job of getting rid of actors who no longer wanted to be in the movies without making their characters look weak mm-hmm. or look yeah. Yes. Like they all got a they all got a really good send off in their own way and mm-hmm. in a way that I felt wouldn't be disappointing to the fans. Yeah. Which was I think a really hard thing to do. Yeah, mm. yeah. And People I really love heavy investment to that those films. And I really loved them uh, time traveling back into films I'd already seen because that was pretty cool. Yeah, really that was so I did like it. I didn't love it. Yeah, but I thought it was a really great way of wrapping up this wrapping portion. up this portion of their cinematic universe. Jim so, and I actually went and saw it again on Tuesday night, mm. so it was our second viewing. Um, and yeah, yeah. I, I completely understand. And I think I think that there had been ways of even having him gaining the weight if they'd I, have if they'd have altered the commentary. I had a lot of male friends that were like, I feel like I was represented by seeing Thor not being thin. And I and felt like they were punishing Thor for making a movie that wasn't heavy. I felt like they were punishing Thor for the Taika Waititi film. Mm-mm. By sort yeah. of depowering him mm. as though he were, oh, he regrets that. See, see and, that, and, and nope, that is. But Taika was in it, and I was so happy. No, I was thrilled when they showed up. I and and my my differing take on it is, I am somebody who loves Iron Man three because I think that going through that kind of trauma damages a person, and that's there's my too fa- many. That's one of my favorites of the yeah. MCU. It is. I don't think I've seen it. Um, it Maybe really, I have. It really deals know, with the yeah. Head. It really deals with his PTSD. Yeah. Um, and I feel like showing Thor grieving losing losing half of his race, having uh-huh. lost his mom and yep. his dad, and losing Loki, like acknowledging that that's sometimes more than we can handle. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think it um, takes away any of like 
no, the I takes agree. that you had on it. But I, I like when they... Because the thing is, it's like, what's really funny with me when I'm watching these superhero movies is I am such a fucking mom and a grown-up now. Like, I'm just like, oh my god, like, look at all that damage. They yeah, just, just destroyed that entire building. I agree. <laughs> you know? But at yeah. the same time, I felt like the movie was telling me that... Drinking a lot of beer and playing video games with your friends is a worse life choice than dressing up like a ninja and going to Japan and killing Yakuza. Okay. I Yes. Yeah. You see what I yes. mean? No, yes. I can absolutely see that too. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot going on with it. I really enjoyed it, despite talking crap about it now. I really um, wish they'd made some slightly different choices, because Jim and I were thinking about, like, Put downs that they could have like instead of the the cheese. Instead when of you said what's in your veins, cheese. cheese whiz. Whiz. What's in my veins, cheese whiz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim, but then again, Jim's comment that was would from be like rocket. Yes, but mm. no, 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 it wasn't. That was, no, no, that was, that was from, from Rodi. Yeah, it was from Rodi. Oh, bullshit. Yeah, and um, like Jim and I were like, it could have been like cheap beer because that's like all he'd been subsisting on. Yeah, right. you know, it that in a way that it wouldn't have been, been anything. Because the thing is, is like that was part of. Like, our grievances is the shitty comments came from his fucking friends. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of my big grief yeah. with it. But I, I, on the other hand, really like allowing people to not just sail through things that are really damaging. Right. Did you have anything else? Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Um, I watched a movie today that I had been looking for for a long time, and I didn't know it was available on Amazon Prime, so I watched it right before I came over, called Lord of Tears. It's directed by Laurie Brewster. It is a Scottish horror film about someone who inherits... They inherit this huge manor house (laughs) that they have a letter from their mother saying, don't live there, because when you were a child and you lived there, you had a nervous breakdown. But giant manor because house. you had these, you kept imagining these horrible monsters. So of course he goes immediately to live in the giant manor house because he doesn't have memories from that part of his childhood. Right. And uh, things go downhill from there. There is a female character who lives. I believe she rents the building next door to the manor house. Who comes over and visits him, and she has a dance number that is interminable. It will not end. It has a dance number in it. Well, she's, I believe they're trying to position her as a manic pixie dream girl type, and she's trying to cheer him up, so she does this cheering him up dance that goes on way too long. Um, but if you don't read any information about it, because I had it really badly spoiled for me and I was furious about it because I only spoiled it for myself by reading the description on Amazon. Thanks, Amazon. Um, but if you don't spoil it for yourself, it's really good for a low-budget horror film. It's got some really interesting stuff. The monster is kind of an old god who has the head of an owl. And it, it's it's Ooh. creepy and weird. Nice. And I really liked it. But I wish I had not spoiled it for myself, so I will not spoil it for our listeners. <laughs> um, let's see. What else have I watched lately? No, I think that's the stuff for right now. I, of course, have not watched a lot. Um, we did go see Avengers Endgame. I really I liked that. We uh, Coming back from Crypticon made me want to rewatch a bunch of stuff in my collection anyway. So I... And it put me on kind of a 90s horror kick, too. So I rewatched uh, The Craft. 
Because, you know, why not? And again, you know, Feruzabal, wholly adorable as the crazy pants goth chick. Um, I, why does the goth chick always have to be crazy? I know. I rewatched Ginger Snaps, and again, that holds up really uh-huh. well. And Pete came it downstairs does. from it's his a studio weird feminist horror and movie. looked around the corner and he's like, Ugh! You know, I haven't seen this in a really long time. Are you going to be willing to rewatch it? Who am I talking to? Of course you're going to be willing to rewatch it. And then he stumped on <laughs> yeah. again. Um, when I came home from Crypticon, he showed me some episodes of Love, Death, Robots. That is the movie. Uh, that was the show I was trying to and fucking think about. There are, he showed me a bunch and there are, because they're, you know, they run in length from like six minutes to 20 minutes. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And... You know, it's all different shorts. It's not in the same contained universe. Right. So it's like a Twilight Zone episodic. Yeah. Each episode a different, is its and own story. there were some that I really liked. There were some where the animation was beautiful. And <laughs> there were two where I liked the idea of the story and the animation was gorgeous. And I don't care how much you may, in how much a storyteller may invert, change the character trope, or use it in a slightly different way, I am really over rape as a backstory. Yeah. I'm really over I rape as a motivator. Yeah. And on one of them... Boy, that fucking episode on Game of Thrones. Yeah. On one of them, they did an interesting twist with it, Yeah, but it was still where I was like, but they could have come up with a different reason. Yeah. And that's... Rape is not shorthand, guys. Yeah. That's just lazy writing. Yeah, going through trauma doesn't make us strong. See, and that was one of my other... That was one of my big objections, actually, when Pete and I started talking about it afterwards. Because he's like, no, I get what you're saying, but I think in this one particular instance, they did a twist to it enough that... And I was like, no, it doesn't justify it. And honestly, anyone who's gone through that sort of trauma or that similar trauma, it doesn't make you a strong woman character. It doesn't make you want to go kick ass. It makes you suddenly freeze up at random moments because right because yeah. you because don't know your brain in the room. gets yeah. to you and you know I then you get to suffer for you know the rest of your life because you've endured yeah a right or assault. you move to a different state and then someone you know from where you moved from posts a picture and look there he is in the background at the party mm. yeah. yep oh. and that's just like re-traumatizes you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but those that complaint aside everything he showed me of the, of Love Death Robots was really fun, and the comedic episodes were great. Um, when the yogurt took over the world, that no, really, that's like one of the best ones. <laughs> I have been watching a, I guess it's Scottish sitcom, but it's not really a sitcom. It's also kind of a drama called Taken Over the Asylum. It's from the early '90s, and it stars David Tennant. And he is literally, like, 21 years old. He Aww. is an infant ba- David Tennant. And he's playing a... And the plot of the show is there's a guy and he gets a job being a DJ at a hospital radio station. <laughs> okay. But the hospital radios, they have those in England. <laughs> I don't know why. It's That's just awesome. a thing. They have them in the UK. And he gets this job. And at first he's really freaked out because it's in an asylum. It's a mental hospital, and he's like, oh, oh God, I'm going to have to deal with crazy people. God, he's baby-faced. And then he goes, he's, he is, looks like he's in high school, David Tennant <laughs> does. And, he's, and his condition is that he is manic, Ooh. 
which means he's more David Tennanty than usual. Wow. And his <laughs> and this guy goes in, the radio station is crap, but David Tennant is there and he his dream becomes to become a professional DJ because he's manic and he needs direction in his life. And they kind of team up and then there are different people in the hospital for different reasons that they become friends with. And I felt like the depiction of mental illness was really amazing. Okay. Because you see a character that is literally screaming and freaking out and being carried to her bed and sedated and then a couple then he very slowly makes friends with her and finds out her backstory and she is really shy and eventually she starts becoming he lets her do a radio show and it's I really liked it see I'm just stuck um, on the the how can being a DJ at a mental hospital radio <laughs> show be any different than like being a DJ at a radio show at a small college it's pretty much the same okay yeah. it's <laughs> Just, you know, in my life experience. You're not But, yeah, I really like that he gets to know the patients outside of being a DJ and figures out their stories. Like, there's a woman that makes that speaks a made-up language, and no one can tell what she's saying, and they're going to remand her to, like, the permanent care where she's locked away for the rest of her life. And he realizes that she's actually just Latvian. Oh. And huh. she was picked up on the streets because she's wandering around very drunk, speaking a made-up language. But when they release her, he's walking home that night and she's living in the streets again because they just released her. Right. So it's like, it's got these political statements, okay. but it's also it's also really a good light comedy okay. with drama in it. And yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Oh, so that's awesome. So that's the thing I've been watching. Um... And I think that's pretty much it. I have I have just, yeah, all, all I've really been doing is, like, writing and uh, sewing my outfit for Empire Ball. <laughs> when is that coming up? Uh, May 25th. I haven't begun sewing. I'm just pinning. I, I am almost <laughs> done putting process. all the lace appliques on. Thank God. Um. I'm scared I'm not going to be able, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go. And so I'm, like, kind of frozen in my tracks. I really hope you do. Me too. But we'll see. All right. Um, so, Crypticon. So, what was your impression, Jill? Just because I know that this was your first time going. This, it is now my favorite local convention. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, finally it's a convention full of my people. Because, you know, horror genre and there were a lot of, cro you know, it's a lot of crossover with my goth community and stuff like that. There were some great cosplays. There were great discussions I went to, great panels. One of the things that I noticed that I really, really liked is the horror genre, horror fandom, and goth both have problems with gatekeeping. And the very few times I witnessed guys trying to gatekeep, where I witnessed guys who are like, oh, well, that's not really horror, or, oh, well, Ken, you know, what movies have you seen? Mm -hmm. They got shut down immediately. Yep. They got shut down by multiple people around them. And that was a really big deal to yeah. me. Yeah. Because part of the reason I didn't interact with a lot of horror fandom for a very long time... is because horror fandom is full of jerks. Because I went through that a lot in the 90s mm -hmm. and early 2000s. And you still run into that a lot online. Yeah, yeah but... If you're Woman and you're into horror fandom, you're expected to prove your credentials. But one of the things that we went to that one panel and they were talking about is it that was the horror curation panel, and then it went off on this kind of this weird tangent about how 
men and women watch oh, horror differently. Approach fandom differently. With mm-hmm. men, it's, mu- it's, it's much more trivia-based. It's, it's much trivia-based. more statistic-based. It's, it's statistics. It's like with baseball fans. Yeah. They want to know the, all the statistics on a film and all of the trivia about it. And with, where, women fan, with female fans, it's much more metatextual and how do you interact with the story how mm-hmm. do you and cosplay and looking at detail in terms of representing something from that right. fandom mm-hmm. so it was a very again it it's a very panel, different approach. but it wasn't entirely about curation it mm-hmm. wasn't but we met a I fabulous really... woman who worked at mopop and we are tracking her down and, hang, and we're going to hang out. <laughs> you got her information. I got her information. Not, she so. was she was awesome. Um, in that same vein, um, I'm really excited that I was one of the people that they brought on the panel for the um, the allyship uh, welcome to the horror community, which was almost, if not the very first panel of the con, was ongoing with the very first panels. Of the I con. really liked that panel. I loved the guys that I did it with. Um, it was, um, it's uh, Cody, and I believe it's Macho is yeah. his name, um, who's, congratulations on your recent marriage. Um, and, oh, now I'm kicking myself, which they didn't remember I did a podcast, so it's okay that I don't remember his name. <laughs> um, I know it was Gary Washington and uh, Tony, and the other guy's name, I can't Tony remember. Tony K. Tony K. Um, but also, it was one of the, um, which I'm completely laughing that I don't remember which one it was, but it's they're the Grave Plot podcast, which is another great local, local-ish um, Pacific horror, Northwest uh, yeah. um, podcast. Um, I really liked that panel because they were very, everyone was very, again, inclusive. They were like, you know, here are the things that, I look that I get out of the horror genre. Here are the things that made me interested in, it. and the idea of the handshake film of the here are the films yeah. that got me into the genre, or the films that, that really personify really what I personify like about what I like, like about, about it. That was great, and that Tony's amazing. That he, he was the interviewer for when I Barbara saw Steel. Barbara Steele, and he is Thanks. hands down the best interviewer of celebrity guests I have seen at a convention. He is wonderful with interviewing, but he is also wonderful. He he and you like hold this <laughs> profit of like, I know. He gave me movie. a round of applause when I talked about Marjo Gortner at one of the panels. He was so excited. Yes. It was adorable. Like between the two of you, I feel like I've got the entirety of cinema covered. Like just the fact that I, I know and and see you both and well, yeah. like, can reach out. I have a lifeline. <laughs> I don't need IMDb. I've got Riot. Exactly. But, it, you know, there was just... I was so crushed looking back on the panels. And there was panels that you were in that you guys were, like, texting me going, oh, my God, this is the panel you should be in right now. But you were in the Barbara Steele one. No, I didn't make it to the Barbara Steele one. No, I was in the Barbara Steele one. Which one? I went to the the People of Color representation in horror, which... Oh, you were on that. No, no, I wasn't in it. I was... But I was there. And we're... I'm going to talk about this. So... I really kicked myself off of that uh, after that panel because it was a situation where I have been that audience member listening to like a women of horror panel where that guy is standing up talking about what an ally he is and talks over everybody and actually talks more than people on the panel. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, I was kind of that person. I don't feel like I, it wasn't my intent to dominate the conversation, but there was points that I felt like I needed to make and we had an entire panel of people of color that were having wonderful conversations that, you know, derailed a bit towards the end um, or towards the beginning where they had to kind of get back on track. 
I shouldn't have been the person talking there. I should have been the person listening there. Um, but the, everybody that they had doing that panel was fucking amazing. And it really illustrated biases that we have as Caucasians that we just don't even realize. We aren't aware of it. No, because it's because we've had this since childhood. Yeah. And it does not occur to us. Yeah. And I don't think it's, it's definitely not... One of the best I mean, it's a bias, but it's not a racist thing because well, we don't. It's, because it's an internalized thing yeah. that you just don't think about. Yeah, and and if you're if you are a self aware person, when someone says, "Hey, you may not be aware, but, but here it this is. thing," then you can be like, "Oh, you you're right. I was not aware. Thank you for telling me that." Yeah, the one that really like oh, kind of gutted me a little bit is, I'm excited for Ma. Like yeah, I, I love that actress. Yeah. I love oh, seeing Katie it. Butler take. is great. Here's the take on it from the women of color that were on this panel: is the crazy black lady? Oh, is the, the angry da- crazy black, black lady. lady. Yeah, is, is a pretty dangerous trope that is killing women of color. Um, yeah, you know how many times are they? killed by police officers yeah yeah Um, like that crazy lady over at a sandpoint last year oh there was a lady that the cops went into her house and shot her right yes at sandpoint and And then it was like well she was crazy and you're like "Mm, uh, yeah yeah no yeah I mean, she was schizophrenic, but they didn't try to de-es- They could have de-escalated that. I just look at how many like and, yeah, crazy white, white men that like are literally gunning people down. That surprisingly, they always manage to take them all alive. So it if seems like yeah, if they're white, they're escorted to prison. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I can see where that it, that it is that is a trope that is actively damaging people. Yes. Yeah. And I was just so excited to see Octavia lead- Butler, yeah, yeah, leading leading a film, leading a film and a horror film because they're yeah, yeah, because you I know, want more horror films, the genre I love to have people of color in, in them. them, yeah, because I want different stories and I want different actors and actresses. Yeah, yeah I love us. Directors. I wish I had been able to see it a second time because mm-hmm. I still haven't seen it. Oh, oh it's <laughs> so really good. I know. Goodness. I want to see it. I just I haven't had a chance. It's something you need to see twice. It's got a lot going on. One of one of the things that I took away from a lot of the panels I went to is that I actually do want to see the remake of Suspiria now. Good lord, me too. I and have heard so much about it. I've heard it. so much about it. I wish I had bought it out of physical things so I could just give it to you and right. make it not look because I am I am one of those people that the original is beautiful and mm-hmm. I love seeing it as like video wallpaper at goth clubs. Mm-hmm. You cannot pay me to sit down and watch it. I have sat down and watched it, and my opinion was exactly the same as yours. This is cool looking. Those colors are amazing. I mean, I've seen it in theaters. And that's another thing they talked about at the panel is, if you say, I really like the new Suspiria, there's always some guy who's going to say, well, have you seen the original? Yeah. Like, you're an idiot. And yeah. you've never yeah. seen the original. Yeah. But I do want to see it now. One of the best things I took away from a bunch of the panels about it is that Treat it like a miniseries. Treat it like a TV show. Take breaks. I wish I had, because it so, was just so fucking long. But it was also, so going to the, the Best of 2018 panel was also really interesting, because it brought home to me how much stuff I have seen, thanks to you. 
Uh-huh. Where I'm like, wait, I saw that. Wait, I saw that. I know. I I get that reference. I was very yeah, excited. and it was a pleasant surprise to me because there were a couple of people on the panel who I thought were going to be yahoos, and they turned out to know their film. And they I was were like, great. I was like, you guys are great. Yeah. I, yeah. That, I may not agree couple? with everything yeah, you suggested, yeah. but... Yeah. yeah. They I, are the most... That couple is just the most enthusiastic lovers yeah, of the world. Yeah, they were super nice. What was and, the roller coaster of death? Hellscape? Hell... Hellfest. 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 They yeah. loved Hellfest and Mandy. And I liked Mandy. I haven't seen Hellfest. Yeah. It's a heavy metal horror movie. Too, yeah. I might take a look at it. I want to see, because there was two movies about going to, like, a carnival. There was Hellfest and Bloodfest, I think, is the other right. one. And I wanted to see, I think it's Bloodfest or something. I heard that Bloodfest it is vastly to... inferior. But then they started talking about how much they loved that Grady Hendrix book about the right. woman in the metal band. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm oh, back on board with you guys. Sold, on, yeah. sold our souls. Uh, the best cosplay I saw, hands down, was also the one that terrified me, which was the female Pennywise. Okay, first who got off, to the ho- who got to the, got elevator the elevator with us. with us? She was at least six foot tall. She was a large girl, so she was looming. She and had the was, that the, spot? was that the one where I almost stepped in front? Yeah, of where me? both you and Ryan like, like moved to go in front like, of me. We were going to just save you because me and my Julian has a clown phobia. Fortunately, she had taken the teeth out. She had taken the teeth out, and I could just focus on what she did with the makeup, which was so which was, good. Her makeup was Fantastic. great, and she was also super nice. Yes. yes. Which helps when the evil clown is like, oh, I love your makeup. That that helps. That helps. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I was it like... It was an amazing costume. She was with um, that the haunts from Beaver Lake. Oh, okay. Nice. Beaver Lake haunts people who... I've heard do really great stuff. Yeah, they, they're supposed to do really good things. But yeah, she stepped into the elevator, and I'm like, this could be a potentially bad scene for me. <laughs> Alrighty then. Mm-hmm. The vendor's room was great. There were a lot of interesting things in there. There were a lot of dealers I don't see at other places there. Yeah. That yeah. made me happy. That was really there was, nice. Oh, and there was also a lot of different stuff that I hadn't seen, like, the year before. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. It was just yeah. fantastic, and a little bit of everything. Yeah, um, everything from T-shirts to you know Funko, which you'd expect, right? But um, resin castings, metal casting, adorable so- taxidermy mousies and Victorian clothes. Those too. Talking <laughs> <laughs> my adorable Victorian taxidermy baby mouse. But the best. Oh, that is not funny. <laughs> then why are you laughing? That dog ate my baby. <laughs> Pete, Pete laughed at you. The dingo um, ate my baby. Pete laughed at you, but Pete is, is the enforcer of the no taxidermy rule in the house. That's okay. The best panel I went to, and now I'm going to kick myself because I won't remember Mick Saren, something like that. Mick Strawn. Mick, Mick Strawn, Strawn, who He's was a production designer, production designer on who wrote a book about Nightmare on Elm Street Four. I have yes. the book, and I he it. was amazing. I kept looking for him because I wanted to buy it from. I have not it. So you guys can borrow his it. stories about working as a production lead, as a production designer. The what I suspected, what the the nuts and bolts, nitty gritty stuff behind the right, scenes, like drawing the short. Yeah. How to fix things. That was amazing. The, the charming flirt. But, but the, <laughs> the things I really wanted to hear about were the stuff that he said, you know, was under NDA that he can't talk about because yeah, he's, he's a no fixer. Long, he's a fixer now. And when I came home and was burbling about this to Pete, he was like, okay, to me, fixer means like someone dealing with 
licenses the and the mafia. And I'm like, no, he's the person they bring at the last minute because they say this is a pile of shit in a film and we don't know what to do. We need to buff this turn. Please Shine make this better. Oh, my friend's dad does that. And Pete was like, he yeah, I want to hear those Mars. stories too. Yeah. I would yeah. really like to know what movies he has been brought in on, other than mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat, which he told us all the stories yeah. about. But, that but he was, had a clip reel. He, a, he was a really in, fun, engaging speaker. Guy. They just put him up there and let him go off, and he, he had a big personality yeah. and was great. And then I heard that they brought somebody from the convention up to interview him, it's and the guy, guy was a terrible interviewer. He was not a good interviewer, and you could tell that he was friends. He was him. friends, and he was fanboying. But it, but it very, it careened into like it's so cool. It's so cool that you did this. Except nothing he said ever led to more communication other than mm-hmm. it was just him saying. Um, Remember that time you told me that story? Nudge, that nudge was so cool. with his elbow. Nudge, nudge. It's so cool. Nudge, nudge. Elbow, and, and just like oh well. And this is something I've run into at other conventions at readings by authors and stuff like that, where you get someone who's going to be the foil, who's going to be the interviewer, who's going to ask questions, and that person forgets that their job is to focus on the viewer, the, the who audience. the person is, who the person of interest is, Yeah, that you want to make sure the audience gets the maximum engagement with that author, that yeah. production right. designer. And you actually see that in documentary filmmaking. Yeah. Um... There's a film called Vampira and Me, which is ostensibly a film about me about Mela Nurmi. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. It's a film about this guy that met her, and oh my god, he's so excited that he met her. Oh my god, you don't even know. And then she told him some stuff that he'll tell you, and then, oh my god, did you know they were friends? And I just wanted to reach through the screen and punch his face. Which is why <laughs> I was so happy about going to the Barbara Steele interview, because Tony... Isn't he just divine? Was her interviewer, and it really was. It was he's, like he's an hour and a half of her just telling us stories. And yeah. Like, oh and and, God, he, so and he's knowledgeable that. enough about history, and he does his research so that he just encourages conversation. And I have seen him surprise people he's interviewing. Yeah. Um, With his base of knowledge. Oh, and then you did this. I did? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. So I... What was uh, I thinking? The, the short form is I definitely want to go back. Yeah. Yes, and next year I want to attend more panels. Yes, because I missed I missed a lot of panels like that one that you guys went to the Welcome to Horror. I desperately wanted to go to that, but I wandered off in the dealer's room and you guys left. I texted you, but the hotel was like a dead zone of text area. Yeah, so. there was yeah. like no texting in the yeah, hotel. Yeah, I, I think we both. Because I was like, I really want to be at that panel, and I don't know. I didn't know where the panel rooms were because I'd just gotten to the convention. And the one other thing I took away from this convention, and it's kind of a personal thing, is that I now know the party floor and hotel room parties, no, not for me you. any longer, because I. I am. Julie had a panic attack. We yeah. joke that I am everyone's stunt extrovert. I am good with crowds. I am good with strangers. Whatever. Um, going to the party floor and trying to find some people, it was yeah. I was like, see where this is not I've, good. This see, is. I found I need an to open place in the hallway, and I never went into the rooms. It just it so, it hit something primal yeah. for me where I'm like, I no, need escape out right, right now. now. Yeah, super loud music. Rooms Which is that fine. Were, Rooms that were swampy, 
My feet yeah. stuck to the floor. Yeah. I'm not okay with Rooms that anymore. That were so full of people that you could not elbow your way in. Yeah. And it was incredibly... And no one had opened the doors to the balcony, so it was just, like, dark. You can't, because people are smoking out there, so they're yeah. right. And everybody's trying to create... And they're trying to create a mood, so there are no lights on except for strobe lights. Yeah. And... So, yeah, now I know. Good. Now I, I not do it. But the I convention flagged. itself was fantastic. I, I'm definitely planning to go back next year if budget allows. Yeah, I really yeah, want to go. I want to go back next year. I'm definitely planning on going to more panels. Um, one thing I did really like about it is I got... I don't have it with me, but I got a list of movies I have not seen that I now want to see. I am so glad that you brought up um, like that Love, Death, and Robots. Oh, yeah, it's Turkish Exorcist. Oh, mm-hmm. I want to see the Turkish Dracula. <laughs> of course Dracula, I did. It is I was kicking myself when I got home because there were so many things where I didn't have something to write it down or I didn't add it, like I didn't whip out my phone right. and take note of it. And I was like, if I could just have instant replay of all of those goddamn conversations. I know. I could... Next year I'm bringing a notebook and a pen because... <laughs> Honestly, half the films they were talking about, I forgot. Uh, there's a film called Night Eats the World. Yeah. Which I had overlooked because it's, a, again, a zombie movie. But then the guy at the panel was like, you know what's interesting about the zombies in that? They're absolutely They're silent. Absolute, yeah. And the idea of absolutely silent zombies terrifies me. Yeah. I mean, because that's the thing with zombies. You hear them a long way off and they're not all that fast. So you get on a bicycle, you're out of there. But absolutely dead silent zombies. It's yeah. terrifying. And no, he, was, thank you. he was talking about the shots where it's just, you know, the crowd of zombies coming forward and there's no sound. I'm like, oh, I need I, to see I'm that. I'm like, that. I want to see that. Or do I? Or do I? <laughs> yeah. I foolishly did not write down any of the movies that people mentioned that I wanted to see, but I also, in the back of my mind, thought, Rise in general will remember some of these. <laughs> I actually. I had the Turkish, that Turkish guy that was on the panel. He was adorable. Oh my god, so cute. Cute Turkish guy alert. Um, anyway, I wanted I to had get that him book write he down had... a list of Turkish films for me to watch. And he pointed out the book. So we can just yeah. contact him. It's a two part book that is like, he's like, this is only the history until the 50s. Right. <laughs> yeah, if we can figure out how to contact him. I'm sure he's on Facebook. We just have to look his name up. <laughs> the inter- Jen's got the hookup. The international horror panel is really interesting, but it sounds like everything that's come out of Australia, I don't want to see. No. Not really. No, that's okay, much. here's the deal. That guy was only likes a specific type of film. He does. He's a Henry the Portrait of a Serial Killer horror fan. Okay. He, he likes his horror to be gritty, violent, based on a true yes. story. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but there is a lot of Australian horror that is not based on that. Okay. Like yeah. Cargo, for instance. Oh, right. You you might really... I think you guys would really like it. You should show it for No, I'm definitely night. going to. Yeah. Um, no, I, he was one of the people that I got to sit and chat with in the hallway, and he is just an absolute delight. And um, uh, one of the things that I am doing from the convention is I actually put a request in the panels group. I'm like, what is your art? What is your podcast? What are your projects? Oh, good. And so it's something that I'm going to post on the Facebook page and on um, the Don't Read the Latin mm-hmm. site. Um, I'm going to put together a list of, of local, semi-local oh, that's a great idea. Oh. Um, artists, because... vendors, um, films, short films, all of that. I made sure to collect cards from all the various vendors 
because I am going to do, like, next week I'm going to do a Gothic Charm School post of just, here are yep. all the vendors I saw at Crypticon. That was fantastic. And yeah. you need to go look at their stuff. You were about to say something. I felt like I cut you off. Well, I don't know. I was about to say something. <laughs> the one thing that I it am going to... was... The, the very last... <laughs> that one of the one of the people I talked to at the con is doing a thing at the Grand Illusion Theater here in Seattle. Oh, where yeah. Where they're going to... Sh- and it, unfortunately, the first weekend of it is the weekend we're out of town for the Vampire Ball. Okay. But it's at the Grand Illusion, and you know how you see a movie with a bunch of your friends, and then you want to talk about the movie afterwards, but you're kind of hanging out in a theater lobby. She's doing a thing where you get to where they show the movie, and then you get to hang out in the theater and discuss it with everybody. Oh, that's fantastic. And I think that sounds amazing. Yeah, I really want to I, look I want at her to participate schedule and see. In that. Um, the first movie that she's doing is The Wind. That one we were talking about. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. I, I and I was like, yet, I'm going to, to that. And I was like, I'm going to be in Portland. I actually, I think I, I don't think I bought it. I think I rented it. So at some point within the next 30 days, I'm going to be watching it. The one thing I did want to bring up is the very last um, uh, panel that I did was the streaming horror. And I just wanted to bring up kind of three things. The first thing is I found an app that's pretty freaking awesome that's called um just watch and you can i i got it on my android phone i'm sure you can get it on an iphone basically you put in the name of a title of a, of a movie and it will tell you where you can stream it where you can rent it and where you can buy it and it has a list of like all of the services that you can watch movies through um the other thing is i want to pimp out one more time I love Letterboxd. Um, I think Jill came up with mm-hmm. the best descriptor for it, which is it's Goodreads for movies. Um, yeah, I totally did not understand what it was for mm-hmm. until someone on the curating horror panel tried to describe it. I'm like, oh, oh, oh that's what it is. Exactly. Different people use it. Like, Jen makes a lot of movie lists on Letterboxd. I, mean, I don't. What I do is I use it to keep track of everything that I've watched so that when I come here for a podcast and Jen says, what have you watched? I actually know. Yeah. And I can go back and look and see how many movies I watched this year. Mm-hmm. Or yep, I have a list of you know rolling nineteen, you know two thousand nineteen of that I've watched. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be really curious to look at it to see what sort of genre breakdowns I can get from it. Yeah, um, I actually got a pro membership because you can do a lot of breakdowns of like, you know, what. Um, decade do you watch the most film for what countries do you watch the most film and you know there's some of that that's available as a non-pro account but it, you definitely can get a lot more details you, you of all people should have a destroyer that. of that algorithm <laughs> like, oh she likes stuff from the 40s oh the 50s oh the 60s what right yeah. it's destroyer of algorithms yes. yes it's true i watch stuff from every era yeah and um goodreads has given up trying to recommend things to me I used to it's laugh. like, we don't, vampires, we, gothic, we don't know. I, I used to laugh that Netflix thought I was um, both like a 52-year-old gay man and a 7-year-old and, and a horror fan somehow wrapped up all in the same person. Yep. yep, Amazon thinks that I'm a gay man. Yeah. They keep, I'm like, I just watched two drag shows and now, <laughs> now I'm like the king of the gay men? Yes. Sadly, I, Amazon all it has, takes. Amazon has my own but I'm not that fabulous. <laughs> Amazon has my algorithms, like, down oh, to a good. T. Would you like the self-published gothic romance? Would you like hair dye? Would you like smiling? <laughs> oh, yes, by the way, yes, a petticoat. Yes. Um, yeah. And the last bit that I wanted to mention is, you know, um, with every different type of 
um, you know, went from, you know, Betamax to VHS to Laserdiscs to DVD to Blu-ray and now to streaming, you lose movies and there's movies that aren't available on the different formats. I am starting to see at least a slight increase on films that aren't available. Like if you don't have a scarecrow in, in your world, right? Um, that there is, I'm starting to see an increase in films that are out of print, very hard to find, starting to be av- available on some of the streaming media. Um, things like Amazon Prime has The Haunting of Julia. Yes. Things like YouTube Rentals had the Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, the TV movie, which I haven't seen anywhere else. And there was something else that um, that I was searching for that it just wasn't available anywhere else. So, um, you know, that's, you know, again, that Just Watch is going to help you out um, in finding where those things exist. But, you know, it's, it's, uh-huh. it's sad that we're losing so much media. I and mean, it is. It leads back to my one complaint with streaming, which is... Streaming media by default is designed that you can't download stuff. Mm-hmm. That they want to keep the mm-hmm. content, which is understandable from an intellectual property and mm-hmm. a, a profit and loss thing. But that means you don't own that media. You, you right. can't when you keep it. Buy a movie on Amazon. What you're buying is the right to watch it. While Amazon has the you're right buying to a license. It. Yeah, and that's one of my big things about why I you don't. You don't buy very many movies. I or any. Bu- you bought you bought Seven Witches, didn't you? Yes, because I wanted my video wallpaper and you both can make that face of me. Um, no. But that's why I don't buy stuff streaming. I mean, it has only gotten mm-hmm. within like the past three years that I'm willing to buy stuff uh, from like Bandcamp. Okay. And then I immediately download it because that's one of yeah. the things with Bandcamp. Uh-huh. But like with digital like ebooks, I specifically have software that lets me download it and then download it to a drive that lets right. me so essentially jailbreak it. it. Yeah. And I, there are too many movies that even if I don't want to necessarily rewatch them all the time, I want to have them available to me when I want them. Mm-hmm. I kind of make that choice. I'm, ha- I'm, I'm in a position with the size of my home that I have to make a choice as to whether or not I buy certain things on physical media anymore. I'm looking at buying Starry Eyes on Blu-ray. Because I want to rewatch it. Mm-hmm. I know I will want to rewatch it again. I don't want to buy it off streaming. Yeah. I'm so I mad that. I really dislike that movie. I know. That's I'm really... fine. I love that my friends have different tastes in movies than I do because. Then we have Then I, we get to have more discussions about it. I'm really sad that, like, The Lodgers isn't available on physical media. Um, but that was also one of the things that I was kind of hoping for in the Crypticon vendor room uh-huh. that I didn't necessarily find. And it's probably you find it larger horror conventions where you can find physical media of some of the indie studios. Yeah. Because Vinegar Works was the only one there, right? Vinegar there wasn't Syndrome, yeah. Vinegar Syndrome. So there wasn't anyone else out there. No, there were some people selling bootlegs and they existed everywhere. Bless their hearts. Yeah. yeah. Because I bought Livid. That's right. You said you want me to watch that. Oh yeah, it's a ballet school ghosty vampire weird, beautiful French woman. I am here for this. This is my aesthetic. (laughs) It's by the director of Martyrs and um, Inside, which are both super violent and bloody. But this is weird and beautiful and creepy instead. I like weird and beautiful and creepy. The other thing I was hoping for at Crypticon that I didn't see was, and again, it's a, you know, it's a small local convention. I don't know how much interest there would be in someone coming there. But... I was really hoping there would be a vendor 
selling hard-to-find horror fiction or paperbacks. Yeah. I want a paperbacks from Hellbender. I want yeah. someone there with, like, all the vintage. You and think about it, though. What... You... It would be so hard. God help me. I am seriously considering, like, mm-hmm. for the yeah, next we year, do this. hitting just... all the thrift stores, buying everything all I can, garbage. and then, you know, applying to be a vendor and sell copies of Gothic Charm School, and here's all the vintage horror and Gothic romance and yeah. occult books I could get. Can you imagine carting it? And, and the thing is... is um, well, you know, being local, so... that would be... Yeah. yeah. But it's just, it's so expensive, and I, I can't even remember what vendor I was talking to that it was just like, you know, I used to do it this way, but now it's like my table just keeps getting smaller, smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah, because yeah, it's, it's ridiculously expensive, expensive to get a table. Yeah. It was really nice One to thing see I'd how like many independent see, publishers were there. I would like to see conventions do a thing where you buy your table for one year, and then there's, they only, you can only buy a table for the next year in a row. For like fifty percent of the dealer's room, so that like with NorwestCon, I hadn't gone for like eight years. I go the vendors' room; it's exactly the, the same, same yeah. people, so yeah. the same stuff. And I'm like, "There's got to be a way to get everything I want from you." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was twenty, I know. bought them at nineteen ninety four prices. I don't need to buy them at yeah. twenty nineteen prices. Nope, I get it. But that's and that's one of the things that ten years ago at San Diego Comic Con. There were where you could find people yeah. selling vintage comics, vintage books, stuff like that. Yeah, but now they can't afford to. They can't afford to. And the people I, that, yeah, the people that created the con yeah. can't afford to go anymore. Right, like, was it Doug Plant? Yeah. That giant booth? They're not there anymore, and they... Yeah. They were there for as long as I can remember, and they announced, like, we can no longer afford the comic con prices. But that's yeah. one of the things I would love to see at some of these smaller fandom genre-specific conventions, where it's people really targeting that in physical media, in be it DVDs or Blu-rays, be it books. books. One of the things they have in the Midwest, or they used to have when I lived there, that we don't have here are Relaxicons. Relaxicons have maybe one or two panel rooms. They have a tiny dealer's room. And you just go there for the weekend to be with other, to hang out with other fans and talk. Oh, alt gothic convergence! Woo! Use net represent. Not quite, but but in, close. Behind the same vein. But yeah. the same vein. Convergence like was go, the same weekend as Crypticon, so it's, it's a con, but it's for relaxing. Right. Yeah. You hang out. You get to hang out and talk with all the people with people you have stuff like in common with that you may not know. And there's some there's programming, but it's not like it's, it's like loose. It's, it's like there's like two tracks of paneling. Yeah. Right. Next year when I go to Crypticon, I'm going to try and go see the shorts that I want to go see movies. Same! I didn't get a chance to do that this year, and I'm really... Oh, what about those beautiful music videos we saw? Bless. They were adorable. Oh my god. That's all I'm saying about it. little goth boys. So adorable. I I was so brokenhearted when I re-looked over the schedule on so many things that I had every intention of going to, and... Yeah, my goal next year is to look at the schedule in advance of the convention. I did, and it did me no good. And to bring a notebook that I can write down times and places I need with. To, you know, and the thing is that was nice is the um, the, the fan... Fan guru? Fan guru had... You could, you could subscribe to, like, the panels and things that you wanted to see, and it would give you a little pop-up, like, 15 minutes prior to it. The last time I checked, it didn't have the panels. That's why I was... It, it did. Okay. When, but it was, I was there at the time, so I don't One know One of the things, before. speaking of technological advances in fandom that I'm really enjoying 
is, I, I don't even remember the website. There's a website where you can, if you couldn't get into Hall H at Comic-Con, they've got the panels. You can watch all I, of those I do panels. wish, yeah, that they had some of them recorded. And it's amazing. I mean, it's yeah. not going to happen for smaller conventions like Crypticon, but like yes. Seattle Comic Con, um, they had or Emerald City Comic Con. They, I was able to sit on my couch in the living room and watch the entire cosplay competition. Give it five years. That's it. gonna that's yeah. gonna become the way of the, the future. Norm. Yeah. And I am yeah. willing to bet at least two parasols that within five years there is going to be an online convention pass where if you buy the online convention pass uh-huh. you get access to all of the streaming panels yeah there should be there's no reason they're not doing that now i mean server space they know we're all introverts <laughs> well, some of us speak are. for yourselves <laughs> well, man like, comic con is gonna have to do that they yeah are too big yeah. Too big. yeah they need to they're i'm i'm terrified like last time i went it was shoulder to shoulder and you could move three feet at a time through the dealer's room, but you couldn't get close enough to the tables to see what was on them. And that dealer's room is the size of a football field. I went and 10 years ago, and I'm never going again. It's terrifying, and if anyone decides to blow something up, yeah. <laughs> conventions never, yeah. until recently, started having bag check. Yeah. And it's, like, so scary. Okay, I'm, I'm going to wrap up, because I know Tech is about to start brushing her teeth. Um, what I do want to say is one of my favorite things about, about, um, Crypticon is it is just the most personable and welcoming convention. It really was. Outside it of Geek really Girl Con. It really was. You could just stop, like, the celebrities, the celebrities like, we were standing, to to them. the three of us were standing in the hallway and Ray Wise came over to say hello to us. And just said us. hello to us. Yeah. I sat down and had a, like, five, six minute conversa- conversation with Nicholas Leah, who played Crycheck. Yeah. Um, in the X-Files, and he was... Just an absolute delight. He was charming and wonderful, even though that the thing he is, he didn't have a line all weekend. He didn't, but he he realized that he's like this. Perhaps isn't the convention for us. He goes because um, Mitch Plaggy was talking to a bunch of people, but mm-hmm. nobody was really talking to the um, the actor who played the smoking man. He's like, there's a lot of us. You know, there's four people here from from the X Files, and, and everybody's talking like, to Mitch because he was in Shocker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, know your audience. He goes, I don't know if this was necessarily the right convention for us. He goes, but you know, I've still had a good time, but the day is long. Right. And honestly, he's in Supernatural. Yeah. He should have had. And there are huge Supernatural conventions. And I hope that at the next one he goes to, he's busy all day. Yeah. He seems super nice and. Super charming, just as. Ryan and I have the same ones. reaction where we're like, oh. we can't go talk to him because we'll both blurt out, well, one of the first fanfics I ever read was you. Um, yeah, I read some doing Mulder questionable Cr- things. Slash Karchek. That's how I discovered the Slash existed. Yeah. Hi, nice talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> don't talk to them about the fanfic. Remember, we don't, Never we don't, fanfic we don't break to that the part of the fourth wall. We don't break. Orlando, <laughs> Orlando Jones is the only one you can have. Or Brian Fuller. Brian Fuller. You can yeah. have that conversation with Brian Fuller about Hannibal. Yeah. He will cheerfully give you his Rex list, apparently. <laughs> Brian Fuller, we love you. Be on our podcast. <laughs> Let me just have coffee with you. So, yeah. Um, next year, people, if you were in the Seattle area, and actually, I met a wonderful couple that um, this is their family vacation every year. They drive up from, like, Northern California. Oh, that's awesome. And this, is, and this is what they do. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, and it's just it's a wonderful it's time. It's a delightful convention. 
it is a small convention, mm-hmm. so like we said, a lot of the time there's no line for the celebrities, mm-hmm. and you go up and pay for a picture, and you can chat the with interviews. them. You're never going to be so close to them. Oh, the interview with Barbara Steele was so We amazing. saw Barbara Steele poking around the breakfast buffet. Oh, oh yes, tottering in her beautiful turban. and oh. oh, it was so gorgeous. Oh. Just tottering around. And her talking about working with Vincent Price. <gasps> oh my god, what did she say? She said, he is exactly as charming as you would have hoped. He is he was that oh. man. Oh. And all of us just kind of fluttered in the audience. Damn it all. Swooned. Damn it all. All right. Well, everyone, you have a wonderful two weeks, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye. <laughs>